1: and welcome to a very special episode of candair a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I am Jake Runyon. And like I said, very special episode. This is Wind really something. This is I,
2: good stuff. I was excited going into this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even have a way to describe
1: it. We were kind of left speechless when it's, it was over. It's I mean, extraordinary. To be perfectly honest, it was such a good time talking with... I, I, I'm hesitant to oversell it because I don't want to
2: suggest that... You know, like other incredible interviews we've conducted in the past right. aren't as good, but th- this has been truly something memorable.
1: Yeah, for sure. Without a doubt, it's, it's going to go up on the uh, wall of great. I think so. We'll feather in our show. Man. Yeah, for sure. But we get to speak with Phil Proctor. And for those of you who may not know who Phil is, he, uh, one, was a, or is rather, a voice actor and has given voices to so oh, man. many characters uh, throughout pop culture starting with Hanna Barbera I mean he was in the Smurfs uh but even through Disney like Lion King Beauty and the Beast Aladdin Bugs Life Monsters Inc the list is crazy if you he's go to, he's uh, the guy yeah you go to he's IMDB you're in for a read I hope you got some time on your hands <laughs> right but also uh more than that it was uh, part of the comedy quartet Fire Sign Theater back in the uh, late sixties and through the seventies. And if that name doesn't mean something to you, educate yourself. It should, yeah, because yeah it was a uh, it was recorded sketch comedy that was uh, addressing you know current day politics it's and topical uh, is the word he used more right.
2: often than not. So I'd say
1: topical issues, current issues, humor satire, sure, sure. But it's uh, it's one of those things that. Uh, very much in the same realm of like maybe the Stones or Led Zeppelin. No, no matter how much time passes, it's still as fresh and as good yeah. as back in the day. You know, it never goes out of time. And high. the
2: message is still just as
1: clear. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of it, fun. It just so, makes you show
2: the way the way history is. Maybe not necessarily cyclical, but history tends to rhyme. You know, the right. issues they dealt with then are just as relevant now.
1: There we go. I think we, we, we took a <laughs> if we, lot of emphasis there. Have we built this up enough point. for you? <laughs> but uh, the reason Phil's coming on is to promote his uh, autobiography, Where's My Fortune Cookie, My Psychic Surrealistic Story, which so far is a great book. I've never it's read wild. an autobiography quite like it because it's not only telling a story, but telling... How would you put it? How did he put it? It's like all of the little
2: peripheral stories that contribute to the big one. You know, it's like like working in negative space with
1: all the crazy
2: things that have happened
1: in his life, like psychic predictions, just crazy coincidences. It's. Just that it's crazy. it's crazy in a good way, and I uh, the strongly best kind of crazy recommend picking it up on Amazon. Uh, dot com. Again, where's my fortune cookie? My psychic surrealistic story, a fun read thus far. So uh, we're going to just quit yapping and let you hear it. But first, before we do that, Jake, first ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm going to send you a little bit of a transmission
2: from my brain to yours. Check out our Twitter page at CandairPod and our Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Be sure to check out YouTube where we've got our movie riff, Grave of the Vampire, which we're super proud of because it's fucking awesome. Did you watch it? Have you? Did you watch it since it's been up? I'm saving it for Halloween. Are you? I wanted it to be something special. I'm going to unveil it to my friends. I
1: hope I don't sound egotistical, but I think it's good. I'm, I'm psyched. I'd I'm psyched. When I watch it, I'm initial like, reports have been positive, so yeah, that's I've got gotta to count it for something. Yet, I, from the editing, I can't watch. Oh, it sure, again, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I mean, through editing, I was busting up.
2: Oh, awesome. so uh, uh, I cannot wait. I think it's going to be pretty You guys haven't cool. seen it for a long time. No, so no, it's, it's going to be. It's going to, be fresh. It's going to Laura, be fresh. I can't remember what I said in last week's episode, and I listened to it the other day. So <laughs> what does <is> it mean? <laughs> anyway, uh, check us out on Twitter, Candair AirPod, Instagram at canned underscore air, our YouTube page, lots of fun stuff, um, website, canned website, CandairPodcast Visit our special guest page soon to have an extra entry. I think for uh, Mister Proctor. That's a safe oh, bet yeah, for sure. Merchandise,
1: Merchandise.
2: society6.com forward slash canned air pod. Get a shirt. Get a very nice vinyl decal, which we're very excited about. Those are super cool.
1: Yeah, and uh, something we're, uh, we were just talking about before we started recording is uh, getting a canned air Patreon page together. Indeed. That's uh, you know is going to give a way for you guys to uh, help support the show any way you can. And we want to share some premium content. We want to make it exactly. worth your while. So and I don't know. Turn, I, Get back to us, you know. Tell us how you feel about it. What you yeah. think? Yeah. And in turn, you know, if you are a Patreon uh, supporter, we're going to be pumping you guys special content that the uh, the normies don't get. Right. You know, <laughs> the groundlings. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. But um, I think that does it. I think so. So let's just quit talking and let uh, Phil. A talk man who you. needs no introduction, but got like five minutes of one anyway <laughs> just now. <laughs> All right, without further ado, here is our interview with Phil Proctor. Phil, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show with us today. This is a a true honor to uh, have a pioneer of comedy. Couldn't be
2: more thrilled.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome.
0: Yeah, a legend in my own time.
1: <laughs> How about that? You no, know, we've got a lot to talk about with you. Uh, first off, your uh, autobiography uh, Where's My Fortune Cookie? My psychic series. Oh, my God. I'm
0: ah, even... you see, it's not easy to say, <laughs> is it? My, it's not. Psychic with p- surrealistic p- story. There we go. The peas <laughs> are throwing right. me off. <laughs> yeah, I know those peas, you see. You got to put your pop filter on your microphone, you
1: know. <laughs> right. Might have to double up on you it. You said it better, time. I think that I'm going to get out of my own mouth, so I'm just going to leave it right we'll Keep at that. that audio. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I wrote it, so I deserve to say it. I have to be forced oh. to pronounce it. That's what it is. My my psychic surrealistic p- story, and it's a little p- scary, too. So it's the good that, that we're actually taping this thing on the day before Halloween.
1: I know, I know. How about that? Are you a fan of the holiday yourself?
0: Yes, of the horror day. I love the horror day. <laughs> <laughs> I have two grandkids. So, you know, it's it's more fun for, for them than, of course, it is for me. But uh, but I've always thought Halloween was a fun, uh, a fun uh, time because it was a time I didn't have to dress up. I mean, I'm an actor, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. I could take a break on Halloween. I <laughs> Every day just, is Halloween for my you. Sp- yeah, I could go as myself, you know, which you is go. scary enough as I get older. <laughs> you know that Halloween was was created specifically so that uh, parents could uh, go trick-or-treating with their kids and could control the actual aspect of trick-or-treating. Uh, Harry Truman wanted to eliminate Halloween completely because he felt that it was, you know, a, a dangerous holiday, you know, with 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 a, a, an emphasis on on death and you know negativity and things like that. But uh, but wow. the compromise was to have a supervised holiday, okay? And I did that's not why. Know that. Yeah, yeah, it's something that I, I learned just the other day reading. Reading, I read occasionally. Actually, I still read. Do you know what that means? You read <laughs> like on like the a computer, paper or, I... <laughs> you know? It, it, I mean, you have to read something that's on paper, is what I'm trying to say that's That's the fun of it. You know, we can all read little little uh, uh, bright lights and cyber dots and things like that, but <laughs> we do We do a lot of that right. but uh, but but there's nothing like holding on to a smelling a piece of newspaper, especially I have one to agree. your that your cat has just peed on. You, know, <laughs> you really know you've got something organic in your hand. You know, I mean, you're in Ohio. you yeah. got to appreciate that, right? we got a lot of I cats, the, too. You know, I can't get the Hoosier out of me. You know, that's, that's the problem. All right, I'll stop talking now, and you can ask me questions. Oh, no, you're
1: fine. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, having a book in your hands cannot be uh, trumped. I mean, anytime I read anything on an e-reader or on my computer, I fall straight yeah. to sleep. The information's not yeah,
0: retained. It's... It's true, it is, it is sleep-inducing. It's hypnotic, you know. But when you have to turn those pages, boy, you got to be awake for that. You know what I mean? you yeah. got
2: that little bit of physical incentive. That's all it takes. That's right.
1: So. And who it's doesn't? Funny, go ahead. I was just going to say, who doesn't, once they get a new book, open it and just shove their nose oh, in yeah. it for that first time? And That's the good stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. In France in the old days, you had to cut the pages with a knife. Did you know that? No, Ooh. I didn't. You guys don't know anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Back in the 50s, I guess, when I was in uh, high school and studying French, all of the French books were, were, uh, had to be cut open. You had to slice all the pages. And you know there'd be jokes like people would have all these books on their shelves in France, but they had never cut the pages, which meant that they never read them.
1: The pages were bound on the opening end, too? You had to like cut that, that whole side yeah. off?
0: Yeah, it, they were they were printed in such a way that the the consumer had to actually cut the pages. I don't know why, you know. But the main news from France today is the butter shortage.
2: Oh man, dear God! topple the entire French
3: economy.
0: <laughs> I know. What are they going to do? I know they, the, the French eat three times more butter than we do, of course. And I actually, I was doing a cook once with my wife, and the the chef was from New Orleans and uh, he's cooking up some stuff, and at one point he, he brought out the butter, and he said, ah, the fat boy's friend. <laughs> <Butter>. <laughs> and it, It's really the secret. There are two secret ingredients in every restaurant that you eat at, except maybe some of the fast food restaurants. Salt and butter, all the gourmet restaurants. That's the secret. Those are the secret <laughs> ingredients, salt and butter.
1: And okay. yet the uh ratio of obese people in France to uh United States is still slain it the other way. You would think with that kind of diet yeah. they would have a lot of uh, obesity issues no, but but not you the see, case.
0: that's because they drink wine and then they throw up a lot
1: <laughs> there you go it's solid logic diet plan. yeah
0: there used to there used to be a there was a campaign against alcoholism in France, which was uh, fraternité égalité sobriete. <laughs> Or e- 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 Equality, brother, Brotherhood, and s- Sobriety. Huh. Yeah. Sounds
2: like two-thirds of a great movement.
0: <laughs> yeah, but this has nothing to do with my book, except the fact that, that uh, I've traveled a lot. I write, a, you know, some, I write about that to a certain extent, and I've had a lot of amazing experiences uh, in my 77 years on the planet uh, with all kinds of amazing people. Many of whom I, I, I name uh, in, in the book. And I've also had all kinds of weird psychic experiences and, and unexplicable coincidences that have really kind of led me through my career uh, from, you know, uh, stage to, to screen to television to movies to recordings. And, and I've had the great good luck of being able to work in all of these different media uh, over my, my lifetime. And uh, uh, and I, I'm kind of uh, happy that I ended up more in the voiceover arena at the end because you, you don't have to memorize lines, and you don't have to wait in your trailer all day to go and, and shoot your scene. <laughs> this right? Is true. Yeah. You know yeah. It? You just read off the page. See, there you go, the page. But actually, <laughs> some of those, like when you do games now, right. uh, I, I was the villain of uh, Professor uh, Dr. Vidic in uh, Assassin's Creed yes. for, what, you know, four years. And you know, when I go in to do those sessions, they had your lines were on a screen, you know, on a flat screen in front of you. And they put this helmet uh, over my head. Which was invented in, in Montreal, in, in, the, in French Canada, that captured all of my facial expressions and translated them into a computerized a pattern of my face, and they laid the character's face over that. So all of the all of the facial expressions that you see when you play the game Assassin's Creed for my character and for most of the others are actually my own face making. making I did uh, not know that. That is incredible. That is extraordinary. Well, that must he, be he surreal. Yeah, everything you know is wrong. I'm I'm glad to be able to enlighten you. That, by the way, Jeremy, is the name of a double DVD set that the Firesign Theater just came out with. Uh, It's like seven hours of our video, of rare Firesign video footage. And one of the, the main pieces is Everything You Know Is Wrong, which is a film that we made to the record of the same name.
3: Right.
2: And it
0: was shot. Shot by Alan Davio, who went on to shoot E.T. for Steve Spielberg and all that stuff. But, but what we did to, to be able to make that movie uh, for Columbia Records for like $10,000. This is in the 70s, mind you, when $10,000 was a million and a half. But anyway, <laughs> no, it wasn't for 10000 It was more like $10. For $10,000, we lip-synced to the, to the record. So the, everything that you see in that movie is lip-synced to the actual track. Really? Yeah. It was a wonderful, fun uh, technique to use. And anyway, it's called the Firesign Theater uh, Declassified. Everything you know is wrong. And it's got a whole bunch of other, got the Martian Space Party on it, and a whole bunch of home movies that we shot when we were recording uh, stuff in the Columbia Studios and elsewhere. So that's available at our website, firesigntheater.com, along with all kinds of other wonderful, fun stuff from our our archives. because you know, there's only two of us left now.
1: Right, right, and uh, footage of you guys from uh, back in the day is hard to come across. There's a few things on YouTube, but uh, like you're saying, a lot of it's extremely rare. So uh, I yeah. would be very anxious to see the footage on that DVD myself. But yep, um, it's, a, it's fun. Our, our listeners, you know, probably know you better for your voice work. I just want to touch on Fire Sign Theater. Uh, A little bit, you know, to maybe educate those people who aren't aware of it and how inspirational uh, you guys were onto the comedy sketch world. I mean, it's really difficult to overstate
2: the impact, you know, I mean, at at the grave risk of of sounding like I'm just filling filling you full of compliments today. It's it's
1: extraordinary just how much reach and impact yeah, and influence. Well, I mean, shows like Fridays or SNL yeah. or you know Monty yeah. Python. None of these things would probably be around if it wasn't for your guys' work. And
0: well, that's that's very nice. I can take it. You can tell me with compliments. <laughs> you know, Halloween is coming. I'll be filled with candy corn tomorrow. So it's okay. Uh, but it, it is true. And yet the, the true inspiration for Fireside Theater and Mighty Python, by the way, was the goon shows. Now Do you know what the goon shows
1: are? I'm not aware of the goon shows, no. We're learning today. The goon
0: shows, the goon shows were uh, in England during the war years and into the 50s, starring Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe and Spike Milligan, who wrote them, A Crazy Irishman. And they were half-hour, totally surrealistic, crazy uh, comedy shows, uh, running characters that everybody knew, and running catchphrases like, Yuckabuckoo! And all kinds of <laughs> You have to Google, Google the goons. Google the Goons and just listen to one of them, and you'll see where the inspiration for the the crazy surrealistic comedy that we, you know, uh, pioneered and that of Monty Python later, and they had the great, of course, of being able to go on television, which we were denied because primarily of the uh, uh, anti-war sentiments that people ascribe to us and oh, sure. the, you know and the social satire. Uh, that that we were, that that we were making our reputation on with uh, our generation, you know, because we were called jesters of the rock generation, and basically we were making fun of all these movements from within in order right. to lighten people up. I mean, you could still go out and, and march for a cause, but also had keep your sense of humor about it. Or as you can see in some of the clashes that we've been having uh, in, in this. Bizarre political environment that we're in now You know, things can get out of hand If people get too serious About all this stuff I think we're
2: experiencing a a second Great golden age of people Needing to lighten up a bit about their causes
0: Yeah (laughs) It's true Because uh, in in fact The whole political correctness thing Has gotten out of hand Oh, without a doubt most people know you yeah but but on the other hand when you look at all of the the uh, uh, sexual picadillos if i can use the word peccadillo on the radio uh, that, have been, <laughs> <laughs> right, that have been uncovered recently, there's also a good side to all of this, you know, because this suddenly people, yeah, people are, are, women are not afraid to speak out in right. very explicit terms about the kind of treatment that they've been uh, uh, suffering for, for, for decades and decades. And, yeah, you know, and I, think it, I think that's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. So, so there's free speech and there's not so free speech. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, that we are going through a transition period, and I think it's a direct result of the public platforms that are now open to all of us, Right. you know, because yeah. we're communicating in a much more uh, both indirect and direct way with many, many more people than, we, than was ever possible before. Marshall McLuhan, of course, predicted it when when he he said that the world is a village and that basically electricity was going to you know once we we harnessed the electric uh, energy for ourselves, it was going to change the world, transform the world, and it has done so. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like it's almost like artificial telepathy, you know. It's uh, yeah. and, you know what I mean. And if you if you really follow so if you either follow tweets or you follow facebook or instagram or things like that you find really that you you're getting into people's minds in ways that never w- was possible before you yes
1: know? people have a you know, willingness what? to open up on social it's media it's extraordinary that how yeah, would yeah. in person and they also you know like we talked about on past episodes get that backbone where they Feel invincible, and yeah, you know, you've my got opinion. the veil
2: of anonymity, and then you have the illusion right. of it being personal. It, right. it feels like this thing that's very one-on-one, very intimate, but it's just hiding that's the right. fact that it's the reach is global. Sure, yeah. Sure. The
0: fire, the fire sign had a phrase for it that we coined back in the seventies, to something like the league mindless fellowship. <laughs> okay, and it had to do with with the way that we viewed our fans and and our fans viewed us. Because again, for people who don't know what the Firesign Theater is, it was a four-man satirical comedy group that was born in the late 60s, doing phonograph records uh, at Columbia here in, in Hollywood. And we started on the radio, and listeners supported KPFK Radio, and and we branched out to do <clears throat> commercial radio. We had a live show. Uh, At a club called The Magic Mushroom, where the Firesign did half hour goon style crazy surrealistic comedy sketches, and where we had famous musicians like Mama Cass Elliott or David Crosby come in and talk with us and play music, and then we had fake panels of experts on different subjects. And this was really a precursor of Prairie Home Companion, okay? all done in, with a live audience in a, a congenial kind of a cabaret setting. So wow. that, you know, reaching out to people like that was, uh, was an important part of what Firesign did in making long-form comedy records. That's what we, that was the revolution that we created in comedy. Prior to that time, comedy records were pretty much recordings of people's acts. Sure, but we didn't. We didn't have an act, right? <laughs> so we, we had we had to create these stories. Uh, what we were do, kind of doing was uh, we were taking radio into the next century. Okay? And we used all the tricks of radio, sound effects and music and multiple voices and crazy characters, but we added to that uh, the, the psychedelic aspect, the electric aspect of being able to go from one place to another without a, a necessary plot point. To move you from one place to another. For instance, when we did our our biggest album at the time, a biggest selling album, "Don't Crush That Dwarf Hand Be the Pliers," <laughs> we we invented the idea of channel surfing. Click, 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 which allowed you to go from one scene to another scene. And we figured out all other kinds of ways to do that. You know, just by word association or, or sound effects or various other tricks and nobody had done that before and really nobody's done it since so we created these elaborate movies for the mind that that were pun-filled and and filled with all kinds of arcane references and things so you really did have to listen to it over and over again we figured if it's a record and and it's going out there into people's homes so it's uncensored you can listen to it in the privacy of your own home and it should be interesting enough that you can share it with other friends and listen to it over and over again and get new meanings from it every time you you'd hear it. And this is this is this was the revolution that we started and it worked so that we had a very good career cranking out these records. And we would also we we did something that the Marx brothers used to do before they did their movies they would go up to a theater in santa barbara called the Lobero theater and they would act out they would perform their routines and hone them so that they were perfect before they went in front of the cameras and we used to go to a club a little club called uh, the ash grove which is now the improv on melrose in hollywood oh, yeah. <laughs> right same building and we would perform our our, our records our writing uh... prior to taking that into the studio laying it down on tape which is what was the medium at the time but we had a terrific advantage uh as well because a fellow named John McClure a wonderful producer at Columbia Records He recognized that we were doing something revolutionary, and he went into a meeting and he said, because they were thinking, who are these guys? Let's drop them. We don't know. Fireside, what? And he (laughs) said, "These, these guys are revolutionizing comedy, and I'm going to sign them up under a spoken arts contract. Now, what's so special about that? Well, yeah, we got a reduced royalty, but in exchange for that, we had unlimited, free studio time. Oh my
1: god, that is extraordinary! Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> I See, can't. So it's we, expensive. I know it was amazing. So we had the the luxury of being able to write some material, go into the studio, try it out, put it on its feet, listen to it, and then go back and write some more. You know, so so it's unheard of. Almost everything that you have to do in this business, especially when it comes to movies and television, has to be, you know, written down to the last uh, period, the last detail, so that you know how much it's going to cost, how many days it's going to take to shoot, right? And record, I mean, we didn't have to do that. So that gave us a tremendous freedom to be able to experiment in the studio and And play with all the new toys that were being developed over our 50-year career. Right. 50 years, right? And and then and then because we became successful, uh we were able to tour the country to promote ourselves. And we played Carnegie Hall among other places, you know. And we tra- and we played lots of college campuses because the other thing that made us so successful, and this is probably something that you guys were influenced by, was the rise of FM radio.
3: Oh yeah. Right?
0: Because when FM radio happened, it 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 was not as commercialized as, as AM was, sure. it took a while for people to avoid it. It was stereo radio, and most of the people who experimented with it were in college, right, on college stations. And that's why we got such a terrific boost, because they could actually play an entire side of our record, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, on the air, without commercial interruption. And that introduced us to a lot more uh, minds out there. You know, I always th- think of the Fireside Theater as a bad head cult. You know, or <laughs> you, you know, hip, hip pockets on the backside of America. You know, because people, little groups of people who were smart and 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 were intrigued by the. Of comedy and the social satire and perspectives that we, were, uh, that we were presenting, they didn't feel isolated anymore, you know? Right. I can't tell you how many people over the years have come, come up to me, that, you know, you saved my life. I, I, I thought I was, you know, crazy, and that the way I was thinking, thing, thinking about things was, was not shared by anybody until I heard your records and began meeting other people who uh, were of a like mind.
1: That's incredible! What an awesome very thing satisfying. that must be. Yeah, I would say.
0: Now, in fact, that's one of the reasons uh, the last two rem- uh, remaining members of the of the group, David Ostman and myself, we lost my dear partner Peter Bergman, who I'd worked with from uh, when I met him at Yale in the in the uh, early '60s, all you know, right up to his death about five years ago, and Phil Austin, who passed uh, two years, uh, who I knew for. Over fifty years with the fire Sergeant here, but anyway, Dave and I were uh, offered a command performance at the Library of Congress about a month ago now right. in the Coolidge theater right and we, and we sold about uh, two and a half days uh, crazy, wonderful fans there, and we presented uh, uh, a short piece that we had got for the two of us. We showed the home movies of the filming. Of pardon me of the recording of don't set dwarf hand me the pliers because the reason that the Library of Congress had us there was that they had inducted that record into the historical archives. Wow, that's uh, cool! Right, as a cultural artifact. Right. Um, Jimi Hendrix catalog and Martha and the Vandellas, and had lunch had lunch down in uh, in the library because they flew us down for a ceremony and everything with Martha. And with Jimi Hendrix's cousin, who is, he was was uh, presenting, you know, at all of his his works. So the the exciting news is that we're waiting now for a uh, a public announcement of the uh, fact that the Library of Congress may purchase buy archives.
1: Oh wow! The whole thing, like the the whole catalog. Yep,
0: yep. The whole well, it's all the original stuff we have. We have an archivist named Taylor Jen. Who's been working with us for a couple of decades now, and he's cataloged and, and saved and and other books and and uh, uh, collections of all our original materials, and that's one of the things that impressed them so much that you know we've we've done a lot of the work archivists usually have to do, sure. a collection of people's you know original material. So I have the task now of having to go through my T-shirts and my tapes. My rec my scripts, and, and my scrapbooks, and determine you know which which part of my garage uh, will will suddenly be open to more junk. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to give all this stuff to our archivists, and it has to be shipped to Washington, AC, D.C. But anyway, we had a wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful performance, a wonderful time, and now many of these. I'm telling you, are in the part of the book. But a lot of the other stories in the book have to do with uh, bizarre psychic things that happened. Yeah. And, and, and the most start with a bang because uh, the book, Where's My Fortune Cookie, relates to the fact that Peter Bergman and I survived the golden dragon massacre uh, 40 years ago, September 5th. in oh, wow. San Francisco. Right? A Chinese restaurant shooting in San Francisco, which was a war between the Fong gang and, and the Waching Chinese for control of the rackets in Chinatown. Okay? And it was a retaliatory uh, 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 murder, if you know, uh, for—I didn't say that right—a retaliatory strike against the Hua Qing, because one of the Fong boys had been killed— in a, a previous gang war between the two uh, the two opposing gangs, so when when the shooting started, I went right under the table oh and God. hid behind the steel column there 's a picture of Peter and me cowering under a, a a round Chinese table with Chinese food on top of it on the cover of the book. If you go to amazon you 'll see it there right and that, right. That, that artwork was from the Rolling Stone. And it was done by Bob Grossman, who was Peter Berkman's roommate at Yale. See, I mean, again, oh, okay. there's all these incredible, incredible connections with people. And so anyway, <laughs> uh, I I had learned that morning that my second wife, Barbara Samingsen, my Norwegian wife, was pregnant, <laughs> and uh, with my my beautiful daughter, who has given me two beautiful grandkids now. But at the time, I'm lying under the table, thinking, well, I'm either going to die or uh, i 'll be wounded, or I will escape unscathed and Having just learned that, I, that my wife was pregnant i 'm thinking, well, one of it is great responsibility, and the other part is like maybe no responsibility It was a true, right right It was a true yin and yang place to be it was being or nothingness right. Luckily, I survived unscathed, as did Peter Bergman. But the guy who brought us in, Dr. Bill Alexander, who uh, uh, had, had originally wanted to go to another restaurant but it was closed, uh, he oh, no. uh, still carries a machine gun slug behind his knee.
3: Forty oh, years God. later,
0: right? Because he was he was shot in the heel by a ricocheting bullet. Five people were killed, and eleven people were wounded. And at the time. If you're if you're sitting down at the time, it was the greatest mass murder in American history.
2: That's
1: incredible. We've certainly upped the stakes since then, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. And, but... and,
0: and it was only it was like three or four days after David and I performed at the Library of Congress that the Las Vegas massacre occurred. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was that was like three days after the release of my book.
1: Your uh, but, your accounts in the book of that situation—it's just absolutely nuts. Like I don't know, like how you uh, <laughs> walked away from that so well—that would be extraordinary. <laughs> Trying to put myself in that headspace—it's yeah, just can. not accessible to me. Well, I'll
0: tell you—I'll tell you a couple of funny things about that, and, and it might help somebody. Uh, I at the time, okay. First of all, I have to tell you that right after the shooting stopped, in came a cameraman and a guy with a light and they scanned the scene and ran out. And Peter and I looked at one another and said, "What?" Okay, and Bill said, oh, because he'd been shot. And then the next thing that happened was, in comes this flood of policemen and, uh, and medics, and they start triaging the situation, okay? And that's when Bill, when we took Bill to an emergency hospital. Why did this happen so so quickly, minutes after the shooting? Here's why. My co-author of this book is a guy named Brad Schreiber, who basically got me to talk about all these things, and then we we, we pieced the book together. Brad Schreiber has also just written a book called Revolution's End, which is about the Symbionese Liberation Army and Patty Hearst's oh, right. kidnapping, right? right? Well, the Symbionese Liberation Army had phoned in a phony bomb threat to downtown San Francisco that very night of the shooting, and so all the emergency equipment and all of the news people were down in that area, and they heard the shooting, and that's why only five people died. Okay. Oh but here's, my god. You see, you see, because they were they were able to come in and save lives. But here's the kicker: the enti- and this is why I wrote this book. The entire event had been predicted to me by an old girlfriend of mine, who was then a young girlfriend of mine, named Sharon, uh, about two months before. And she told me, she said, I hate to tell people bad news, but you and Peter are going to be involved in a shooting after a show. People will be killed and wounded around you. It's foreigners fighting a war between themselves. But you and Peter will escape unscathed.
1: Was she a, like a practicing psychic, or she just turn to you and say this?
0: Yes, uh, Sharon was. A, uh, I knew her originally when she lived with uh, Jeremy Clyde of Chad and Jeremy, Jeremy Clyde oh, yeah. and I. We yeah we shared a, a big old mansion. <coughs> Pardon me in Encino. And by a big old mansion, I mean about maybe two and a half acres, we had an ape cage, we had a flaming <laughs> fountain, a tiki bar, and a bomb shelter, right where we kept our marijuana, and an olympic sized swimming pool where we had bacchanalian parties in the '60s during the, you know the tip of the sexual revolution. You are
1: living bigger Sharon. than rock stars. You're not living with the rock stars. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're living we were, bigger than them.
0: We were. We were living the life. And that and, uh, the whole uh, record industry was just beginning so that all of the artists, you know, we, we all kind of were able to hang out together. It was like a bohemian group. I was uh, with... with uh, uh, Bob Dylan, and uh, oh. uh, Mike Oakes and Phil Oakes and, uh, at the, at, and, and the Rolling Stones. Oh, there was a few of them then. The Rolling Stones. <laughs> I mean, we, we were rubbing shoulders with all these guys. We actually did a record with Chad and Jeremy called "Of Cabbages and Kings. No but anyway, kidding. Sharon was one of the, one of the girls <coughs> who was hanging out in, in our huge house with us. She was from Atlanta originally, and we became friends. Then many years later, I got excited. Peter and I were on the road uh, in Chicago, and I got excited about this guy Uri e. Geller. I was reading in the papers; he's bending spoons, and he was, spoon, oh, and he was yes. talking with aliens, right, right. And I said to Peter, "I said we got to meet this guy because we were doing." About two aliens, B. and Zippo from the planet Gorko. And we were actually interviewed when we went to New York from Chicago by Tony Hiss, Alger Hiss's son. That's another whole story. Uh, for the Talk of the Town, New Yorker magazine's Talk of the Town. We were interviewed as our two alien characters. <laughs> anyway. I I went to the night we were going to perform at the the bitter end or the bottom line or the bitter line or the bottom end. I'm not sure what it was. And and I had a message waiting for me at the bottom. And the message was uh, uh, someone named Sharon called, and she said, here was the message, Uri Geller wants to meet you. That was the message. And I thought, my God what you know what is what is this so I may, wow. oh Uri Geller, born with a bent spoon in his mouth, and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and after the show is over, I called this Sharon up, and it turns out to be Sharon, who is now married and has changed her name and has a kid, and she 's working with Uri Geller and Dr. Andrea Poharic, who is doing uh, 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 psychic uh, uh, research. and and also alien contact research up in Osning, New York. And I went up and spent an evening with her, and that's when she told me about the gangland shooting. But she also told me that she was channeling alien technology, you know, reverse engineering technology, and that they were flying her all over the country to speak to groups of scientists about alien technologies. And what were these alien technologies? Most of them were macrobiogenics. In other words, building, building little machines out of molecules. It was all that miniaturization stuff that we're just now beginning to kind of reveal to the public in general and and that was just one of the aspects of things that she was talking about cuz there are also methods of propulsion and and uh, and the story of where the aliens came from and what the two groups the the the, the tall skinny ones who are like fascists and the little uh, bug-like big-eyed uh, tiny ones who are like love bearers of love and universal love and care you know but but she basically said that the miniaturization it was to such an extent that a lot of – that we were actually being visited, we probably still are, by teeny tiny little molecular rocket ships you know, <laughs> that are sending information back to the planets. Because the planets that, that these people come from are in galaxies that are so far away, it's extremely difficult to send Living beings uh, to 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 visit our Earth, and of course the purpose is to try to keep us from blowing ourselves up. Well, they're not doing too well with that, I would say. Right? (laughs) You know, good luck with that. But the fact is that a lot of this of this uh, these stories of people being abducted and sexual experiments and things being done on them that has to do with the attempt to create alien to to embed alien genes into the human form so that they don't have to travel a long distance they can kind of you know duplicate replicate their kind here on the planet and eventually if enough people have been touched and believe that they've had contact with these other alien creatures then they might be able to finally reveal themselves to the world in general because we won't panic Enough of us have, you know, I've said, yeah, I believe I've seen them. You know, and and anyway, it's all part of the philosophy that she discussed with me in in this wonderful evening I had with her. You know, that
2: strikes me as a very Roman attitude. Why not just bring us yeah. to them and assimilate rather than try
0: and? Well, you know you're right about that, and that's really how the Vikings managed to conquer most of the world. Did you know that Russia, the name Russia, is from a Viking compound that was founded on the river Rus?
2: That does not surprise
0: me <laughs> right and, and how did the Vikings do it the The Norwegians and the the Swedes and the Danes they would uh, conquer an area, conquer a village, and they'd leave some of their men to interbreed with the villagers. And then when they came back, maybe 10, 15 years later, they were all related.
2: They had a little something in common there.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. And that's why I say that the Vikings were the seamen that inseminated the world. (laughs) In the truest
3: possible sense.
0: (laughs) Okay, but I'm going to leave you—I don't know if I'm going to leave you with this, but I want to tell you why the book is called Where's My Fortune Cookie? And it's not for the reason that you might think. Even though Peter and I, you know, uh, had to perform at the University of Colorado in Boulder the day after the shootings, so naturally we were doing comedy like, Uh, yes, we were in this this Golden Dragon massacre, but luckily I ordered the duck— and Peter said, and, "And I ordered the scared prones right? but I never got my fortune cookie, but that's not why the book is called that. When Peter Bergman died, we had a memorial service down at a place in uh, Venice, California that he used to perform in, called the Electric College, or something like that. And, uh, and one of the, the, the patrons of the Sign Theater, a woman named Gretchen Steiner, uh, made up fortune cookies for this event, which was called Peter Bergman's Big ha, right? Okay. And it was a celebration of his life. But she gave fortune cookies to everybody, and it had Peter Bergman's date of birth and death in it and a quote from a Fireside Theater album or a name of a Fireside album. And they said, Gretchen, that was wonderful that you did that, and you did it because of the, the Golden Dragon Massacre, right? And she said, what? I said, you know, Gretchen, Peter and I were in a Chinese gangland shooting, and we survived. And 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 you know, isn't that why you 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 got the fortune cookies? And she said, No, I didn't. I didn't know anything about that. Oh, I said, Well, geez. why did you get the fortune cookies? And this is what she told me. She said, Because Peter came to me in a dream, and said, I never got my fortune cookies.
1: That is so crazy.
0: <laughs> that is so crazy.
2: You know, I, I that, wanted to wow. I wanted to talk about what an extraordinary out of this world title you have for your book. At this point, I think with all due respect, you might be underselling it a little bit with your title. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know it's, it, it's if you read the book, you will see that there are a a string. Through my entire life, starting from when I was yes. really a baby, because I'm of Irish and Amish ancestry, which is a kick just for starters. But there's this string of, of events and coincidences that goes through my entire life that are they're quite psychic, telepathic, uh, uh, empathetic, integrated, and and it's and it still goes on. It's still going on. So. Uh, what I what I really kind of hope that the book will do is inspire everybody to listen more carefully to their inner voices and to, to to become a little more aware of the things that are happening around them on a daily basis that might be little clues to the right way to behave, the right path to choose, the right person to be with, all of those things. Because the visible world is as present. If you allow it into your life, as is our material world, and I believe we're all very much influenced by it.
1: And I got to say, it's just what I've read of the book so far. It has been one hell of a good read. There are just some of the other instances you speak of. I'm not going to mention because I don't want to spoil anything, but it just it makes you, I don't know, look at that differently. Our future possibly can be, uh, yeah. It can be, you know. Foreseen. It doesn't take much
2: to shift your perspective.
1: No, and I don't see how, uh, you know, after these stories, anybody could. Uh, think I think, any whether consciously or otherwise, I'll be seeing a lot of things very differently.
0: Good. That's what I'm hoping. And uh, uh, you know, it, it's funny too because the, the things the the, the things people probably know me the best for is the Howard or the Rugrats. Right. Okay, right. Howard where, DeVille. Which, yeah, which is the most innocent of of, <laughs> any, of everything that I've ever done, you know, and and yet the most far-reaching uh, of, of all the characters that I've created over the years. Sure, um, you know, I get I get fan me- uh, fan letters from Russia and China and South America. I mean, all over the world from Rugrats, and and actually for four years, my wife Melinda Peterson and I were able to do a radio show. In uh, Dublin, Ireland, the show is so popular over there. The creator of the Radiate series was able to get us over to participate. You never know in the show business what what's going to go and what's going to give you the business. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, right,
3: right.
0: You know, you never know what's going to be the hit or the or the one the one thing that that uh, creates a celebrity for you, you know?
1: And you've done so yeah. much stuff over your career. I mean, aside from Fire Sign and uh, your voice work, you know, theater, uh, you've been in movies. Uh, yeah. well, the list just goes on and on. What is your—what's your favorite medium or your favorite outlet for uh, entertaining?
0: Well, you know, uh, that's a tough one because I love the audio medium the most. Right. Uh, and I've and practiced that the most in my life. And so uh, Melinda and I often are uh, invited to ra- old-time radio conventions, right, and other live performances of audio pieces. But if, if people want to see me now, I'm on a three-part PBS special uh, created by documentarian Philip Marshall called Francis Scott Key After the Song. Oh, Which is okay. a story, right? It's a story of Francis Scott Key's involvement in the abolitionist movement, at the end of the 18th century, an attempt to abolish slavery in America, an ill-fated attempt, I might, I might tell you. Right. And okay, but but you, you get to see me bewig, bewig the bewigged, bothered, and bewildered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I really, uh, it's a wonderful character, uh, you know, from the 1700s. He was a true character. He he spoke with a high voice. It was apparently very annoying because he was a <laughs> senator, and he used to show up on the floor of the Senate with his two white Afghan hounds, who are featured in the documentary with me, by the way, and my pretty little black boy, one of my one of my slaves, all dressed up in livery. See, this man had inherited. 300 over 300 slaves good lord and, oh my and mom. and I was absolutely appalled by the prospect of of being an owner of other human beings so he dedicated his life to ending slavery and and this was the, the whole documentary it uh, deals with us as ghosts were interviewed in our own words by Philip Marshall ghosts and so we're able to talk you know talk to a contemporary human being about what it was like when we were fighting this 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 fight okay and uh, right. it's it, it's a it's really a revolutionary uh, uh uh documentary approach and as well so once again you can you can go to the website fskey.com It'll probably tell you when uh, the show will be showing on your local PBS station. But it's called After the Song.
1: I'm anxious to see that. That sounds really good. Can't skip it now. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's
0: it's, it's excellent. It's just excellent.
1: Now, another thing that uh, you've been doing uh, somewhat recently, I don't know if you're still making, is a web series Boomers on the Bench with uh, Jamie Allcroft.
0: Allcroft. Well, uh, here's the story about that. Yeah, we did over 100 of them. And then Jamie... Realized, well, he didn't realize. It. I, I'll tell you the back story. Jamie Alcroft, who was uh, uh, one of the members of the Mac and Jamie comedy troupe, that had a uh, CBS comedy show on for two years back in the '90s, I guess it was. Anyway, Mac Jamie had a widowmaker heart attack on an airplane, thirty thousand feet in the air. And because his kids were on the plane with him, they managed to land in uh, Arizona somewhere, get him to a hospital, save his life, oh implant a pacemaker. And for the last 12 years, he has been operating on like 28% of his heart. And right uh, before we were supposed to go perform Boomers on a Bench, for the third time on a line, radio show up in a little head called American Songbook, he started weaker. And he was determined to do the show, but it was obvious that he was having trouble. So he went to his cardiologist, and the cardiologist said, Jamie, you're down to 10% of your heart.
3: Wow. Oh, my
0: God. You're not going anywhere. You're going to Cedars-Sinai right now, and we're going to put you on a list for a heart transplant. Wow. And eighty days later, and this is like two weeks ago, he had his transplant.
1: That's remarkable. I mean, aren't people waiting on the organs sometimes? Like especially a heart for yeah, months yeah. for sure,
0: years. Sure. Well, he had a heart and a liver transplant from the same donor, a forty seven year old man. Okay? And and it was it it was just it was just a fluke that he got it that early. Because he's O positive, that's the, the 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 blood type that is most common, which means that most people need a heart transplant. You know, are O positive, so when a no positive donor comes in, there's all kinds of people who want that heart. Sure, but for, for whatever reason, the great God chose he he is now living and breathing and and being funny. You know, he he called himself the Tin Man because he played the Tin Man in uh, a high school version of uh, Oz, okay? Mm -hmm. The Tin Man, of course, is the character in Oz, who needs a heart. And so all the time that he was waiting for this transplant, he wrote about his experiences in the hospital in a thing called the Tin Man Diaries, And they were so well-received. They were posted on Facebook. You can probably still catch some of them if you go to Facebook. And you also can find me on Facebook. But uh, he's not going to write a book about it, and he might do some stand-up. But we we will have another opportunity to return to Boomers on the Bench, because he's got a new booming heart. Okay.
1: Well, that's good because it's a fun little series, and it's uh, just straight dose of comedy. I love it. Time to break that new heart in, I suppose. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It was was Jamie's idea uh, to they had done they'd done some Mac and Jamie had done something like this, reading out of newspapers. Okay, because then you can put your scripts in the newspapers and you can crank out topical comedy. Right. Mm -hmm. So basically, that was the approach that we do. We we would shoot them down here in my garage with a green screen behind us. uh, And uh, and we do maybe five or six of them at a time. okay? So to keep them topical as much as possible. Right. And and of course, uh, we just finally had to to stop because of the the rigors of it on him. Okay, but there, but there, there might be new life now. So I'm glad that you enjoy them. And people can go to Boomers on a bench, and they can see the stuff that we've done, which is still fairly topical. You know, we 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 talked about uh, Trump and the and Hillary and all that stuff when it was happening, and I'm sure it, 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 a lot of it was prescient. You know, right? That, that's one of the, that's one of the dangers of comedy. If you're doing satirical comedy, you run the risk of. Uh, Predicting the future.
2: Lord okay? forbid you're right. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and the most recent re- representative of that from Fireside Theater is that they've just released—Trump just released uh, the, uh, some, if not all, of the transcripts uh, of the Kennedy assassination.
1: Okay? Yeah, I saw that.
0: All right. Now, uh, Firesign Theater, when Bobby Kennedy was running for president, or running for the nomination to run for president— uh, and he was going to. He, he was appearing here in town, in Los Angeles. We wrote a piece called "Profiles in Barbecue Sauce," which was about <laughs> LBJ. Okay, uh, an LBJ movie is coming out. now with Willie Harrelson, come on, come on. So it was about LBJ, and we set it. We we did it at the Ash Grove, and we set it in a kind of a cabaret atmosphere uh at a at a convention at the Democratic convention. We decked the place out with red, white and blue bunting and we gave out, you know, patriotic uh, the flag hats and flags and confetti and everything. And the premise of one uh, of the of the show was LBJ was talking to the audience, talking to the convention uh wearing a uh, an apron with a butchered cow on it, okay? and he was talking about everything but he wasn't mentioning the war in vietnam and and he'd say things like the conflagration in southeast asia and not to mention you know the, the 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 conflict that we're now undergoing on a foreign shore in another land and i was playing john kennedy and i'm in the audience sitting with the audience so i stood up and i said ah mr Air president what about the war in Vietnam? And he says, I told you not to mention that. And he takes out, this is Peter Bergman, he takes out a six-shooter, and he shoots me. <laughs> and I, I fall into the confetti, and the balloons are flying into the air. And then an organ theme comes on. David Osman comes out dressed as Earl Warren, the judge. He's wearing a judge's robe. And I am brought up from the audience and put in a panel show called Who It, And they put, you know, <laughs> fake blood on my forehead. And it's me and, and uh, various other people who were in, in Morticade at the time. And uh, it turns out that I was responsible for my own death. Because I had the bullet in me, I was at the wrong place at the right time, etc., etc. It was just a stupid thing. So after the show is over, I go home, alone, to my my house. I turn on the television, and I see Bobby Kennedy, and he is making his acceptance speech, because he's just won a primary, and was the one that went an hour on to Chicago, right? Right. And a balloon floats up over his face from the camera angle, covering his face. And and the camera angle doesn't change. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I first heard of the Kennedy assassination, I was in Greenwich Village. I was having breakfast in a little diner. And the Muzak that was playing was interrupted by a bulletin, and it said, Firecrackers have been thrown at the president's motorcade in Dallas. He has been cut by flying glass, according to one policeman. He is dead. Oh my! And then it went wow. back to music. This is what I heard, and of course nobody else heard it. I said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? What, what, oh, what, what, you know, Unconscious <laughs> oh, no. people. People are unconscious. Right. They walk through life like zombies. That's why there's this fascination with the living dead. Most people are living dead. They haven't energized their souls. The they, you know, they haven't opened their eyes. They don't let their spirit see. In any event, this balloon is over his face, and I'm thinking how so many times people who are involved in shootings— Describe it as being, oh, I thought a balloon had been popped, or firecrackers were being shown. And the oh. next thing I know, the next thing I know, Sirhan Sirhan murders him. Sure. We never did that show again. We never did uh. 12,000 barbecue sauce again.
1: Wow. I would imagine.
0: That's, wow, that's deep. So, you know, it's it's comedy is dangerous. Clearly. <laughs>
2: And what an honor it is to be speaking to you instead of sending you letters to Guantanamo or something like that. I think it's really worked out for the best.
0: Well, that's kind. Uh, the other thing that uh, I think uh, Mr. Bunyan, right? Uh, yes, sir. What's your sir. First
2: name? My name's Jake.
0: First, Jake. What the Jake was talking about was when I, when I, when I, went to, uh, when I described the Symbianese Liberation Army connection. During the time that, that I was touring with Peter— these were dangerous times also. There were hijackings going on. It was the beginning of terrorism as we know it. Right. They hadn't become so sophisticated yet, you know, and the movement wasn't that wasn't that widespread because we had, we hadn't been occupying the Middle East to the extent that we did later. But it was going on. There were plane hijackings and there were, you know, bombs being thrown and things. Uh, and so I used to daydream because I was on the road a lot with Peter. You know, I was in planes a lot flying around and I used to daydream what I would do if I was in a serious situation. How would I respond? How would I best be able to save myself or help others? Okay. So that when the shooting happened, I didn't think it was firecrackers, you know. The people who get killed in a lot of these things are the people who stand up and look around. Hey, what's going on? What's that? You know, somebody's throwing firecrackers and get shot. I went right under the table. Right. I, I, I was programmed for it, you know.
3: Wow, wow.
0: Bingo. And, and anyway, so it, it doesn't hurt in in response to your what, what I think you were asking me Jake was it doesn't hurt to be aware okay you know even the government says that be aware and report things that you think are suspicious around you and all that but being aware will will save your life okay yeah. whether you're driving or whether you're walking or whether you're you know whatever you're doing when you're when you're in uh when you're out of the safety of your own environs okay it, it it pays to be diligent. It pays to be prospective. It pays to keep your eyes and ears open, just as a part of uh, of living a safe life. Okay?
2: I, I think hearing it from anyone, I'd say you have a fair amount of authority yeah. to stand by that statement. <laughs> That's solid advice. No, no it's funny. I... Had, I had often thought or, of myself— For yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly. <laughs> in, in this climate of, of increasing, you know, or the appearance at least of increasing violence and terrorist activity, I've often thought the same thing. I thought, what would I do in such a situation? So I right, guess right. I'm, I'm glad to know I'm not paranoid. I'm just sort of a product of the times. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I can't remember the funny line about paranoia, but— you know, so, like, if you're paranoid, it's probably because you should be.
2: even just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not apt to doesn't get you? Mean they're right.
0: yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. It's something like that. It is true, you know, because we we have a, a rather unstable and crazy uh, guy in the White House right now hmm. who is who is creating a, a, a unnecessary anxiety in all of us, <laughs> you know. So, but but there's a lesson to be learned from that too which is that, you know, if he's heightening the, the, the dangers that surround us, it, it pays to be uh, uh, ready to uh, save yourself if you need to, you know. Oh, sure. Is, right. And you're not being crazy if you think about it.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of generating my own anxiety. I don't need any outside help. <laughs> oh,
0: we're all very good at that, aren't we, though? It's very true. So, I mean, for, to a certain extent now, I, I don't watch television. Okay, I'm am I'm a news junkie. I admit it. I'm a, a political junkie, yes, but I've I've also tried to wean myself off of it, uh, and and to spend more time reading. Well, because I'm taking care of my wife now, because she has like a six-month rehabilitation uh, oh, period. Wow. Because she just had, you know, an ankle replacement surgery, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, that's good. I'm able to focus on my home life and caring for my, my darling wife of 25 years. You see, so and of course, the way that we met was all tied in with Firesign Theater too, because I I uh, I had basically stopped working with Firesign Theater, and I thought to myself, what the heck am I going to do now? I got to get my acting career going again. So I thought, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I should get involved in, a, in some play readings. Ring! What? The phone rings. I up. Hello? Hi, this is John Acorn. I'm doing a play reading. Would you like to be in it? <laughs> okay? True story? So I said, sure. So I go down to the actor's playwright, the actor's studio playwright on Sunset Boulevard uh, near Hollywood on the Sunset Strip, and uh, I do a play reading. And the girl in the front row says, you probably don't remember me, but I studied uh, acting with you at Uta Hagen, at the Hagen Berghoff Studios in the village. I said, sure, I remember you. She says, well, I'm, I'm writing plays now, and I've got a play that I think you'd be right for. Can you do a Russian accent? <laughs> oh. I, said, I said, my dear, I speak Russian. I have been to Soviet Union with Yale Russian chorus. I sing Russian songs. Yes, I can do Russian accent. She says good. <laughs> so, because the play is about a Russian exchange person who comes over uh, to the south to Valdosta, Georgia, to learn some farming techniques, and meets the farmer's daughter, and they fall in love. And at the end of the first act of this play, they go to bed together. Okay. So, fine. So I go and I meet the director, uh, Sage Allen, and I meet my co-star, a Pretty Girl, uh, uh, and we we start rehearsing, and then I get a phone call. Uh, I can't remember the the Pretty Girl's name, because she said, she's dropping out. Why? Was it something I said? No. She's really from the South, and she doesn't want to revert to her accent. Uh-huh, oh. okay. uh, what? Uh, what? I mean, if it was me, I would have said, well, I'm from the South. Great. I can, you know, right. use my accent. But no, she drops out. And she's actually the brother. Uh, she, her brother is the creator of New Line Cinema. Oh, wow. Okay? <laughs> this is his sister. We had, And he had approached Fireside Theater. He actually put J-Men Forever uh, the Procter and Gamble cut-up of all cliffhanger serials, which you can Google on. on uh, You can't get it, but you can Google it <laughs> on, and see selections from I think it's available. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he he put that on television on early cable on uh, uh, um, night night. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I go to uh, the, the director says, "Don't worry, I've got a wonderful actress. You'll love her. You'll love her." <laughs> Little did she know. So I meet meet this lovely young actress, Melinda Peterson, and she does a, a wonderful southern accent. And we immediately knew that something was happening. There was an immediate attraction. I was now between marriages. My second marriage had ended in divorce. My daughter was off in Norway learning, you know, going to school. And I'd only see her a little bit. So I was a kind of free. I was dating a tap dancer, but, you know, hey, what the heck, who doesn't? And so anyway, <laughs> we we rehearsed together, and we found this chemistry was impossible to resist. And so we would, after rehearsal, we would stay and kind of improvise together, okay, to kind of strengthen this, this relationship. Now, this play was about love at first sight. And this event was love at first sight, okay? And life was imitating art and vice versa. Now, Melinda was married, and I was dating my cancer. But it was, we were so taken with one another that we began to investigate the possibility of a permanent relationship. And in the book, I write about certain things. And certain psych people that we talked to, certain events, the, the most obvious of which was that after we did this play together, this this scene together, she cast another play as a southern Italian, a famous actress in a play called Ladies of the Camellias that is being produced by Michael Bell who is one of the characters I ended up working with for 14 years on The Rugrats, Okay, oh, wow. a very famous voiceover uh, actor out here, right. and his wife, Victoria, they owned a theater called the West End Playhouse. And Melinda gets cast in this play by Lillian Garrett. and uh, uh, and, and then Michael Bell calls me and says, Phil, I'm going to be doing a television show for a week, I need somebody to, to, to uh, understudy me and to go on for the week that I'm gone. Are you available? I say, well, what's the part? It's a Russian student. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yes, I am available. So I'm forced to work with Melinda again in another play immediately where she's playing, you know, one character and I with a, with an accent and I'm playing another character with an accent. So we were thrown together again. That was it. That was it. And and we just we couldn't fight it and eventually she left her husband and she moved in with me. And we've been together really for like 28 years. Wow. And we just celebrated 25 years of marriage by going to Vienna uh, together. And see, and on, and on the, our wedding day, watching uh, uh, Beethoven's Fidelio at the Stadtoper in Vienna, it was wunderbar, let <laughs> me tell you. So, you know, so it, it's a good thing. It's all a good thing.
1: That's incredible. Just, I mean, another one of those uh, instances, those crazy, uh, what would you, I do what book. you call it, happening. It's yeah, it,
0: I know. It's in the book, Amazon.com. If you go to Amazon.com and you want to read more about all these, these crazy things and maybe find yeah. some parallels in your own life. Uh, I uh, I hope you do. I hope you do. Can't
1: recommend it enough. Uh, Coincidences that transcend coincidence. Right, right. Where's my fortune cookie? My psychic, surrealistic story, like uh, like Phil said, available on Amazon. You knocked it out of the park that time. I did. See, I got it that time. (laughs) But before we cut you loose, I uh, have a little something here for you. Uh, you know, I know I can't really give you anything, uh, being that we're just connected via telephone, but I went yeah. out and got you a fortune cookie, sir. And oh. I think that uh, even though you can't taste on its uh, sweet goodness, you know, feast on it here, we can crack can it open. It. I
0: can hear you opening the cellophane, yeah. right?
1: We're going to open it and see what your fortune is and maybe just your next moment worthy of being in a book or something, would be documented right Wouldn't here. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? We could be at the beginning of one of these many coincidences. <laughs> Watch it say something like, look up before you look down or something. Hey. All right. Let's be see sure what to your drink fortune your fortune says, Yeah, what does it say? It says, the weekend ahead predicts enjoyment. Ooh. Ooh. So nice as long as you have a good time this weekend, I think we, uh, we've already predicted
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, Actual actually, we have, we have a... Uh, um, kind of my, my my wife's godson, Luke Peterson, is coming in and will be staying with us on his 21st birthday on Saturday, right? We're going to take him out to an Indian restaurant to celebrate because he loves Indian food. We just saw him when we went back to West Hartford, where Melinda comes from, for her 50th high school reunion, okay? Wow. All right. And so, yes, it will be a special weekend. Of course, the best fortune cookie (laughs) fortune I ever got said, and I have it somewhere, a move for the better. No, wait, wait. A move for the better will be made against you. you. A move for the better will be made against you.
2: Sounds a little adversarial, but
0: yeah, uh, really little a little yang, little you know, what have you. But but anyway, I that's, the, that. that was very thoughtful of you, and I oh, no and I, I will be looking forward to this weekend for sure. Okay. Well, All
2: signs point to you having a good time, at least that we can interpret.
0: Yes. Thank you. Now, I think I've plugged everything I need to plug. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, one of the things. If, if people are interested in following my adventures, and you guys have to do this too, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I, I write a blog every month now. I've been doing it for like 20 years called Planet Proctor. Okay, yes. and if you go, if you you've seen it probably, yes. you go to planetproctor dot com. You can see the stored archives, uh, and they're they're very colorful. I work with uh, a wonderful artist uh, named Christopher Gross up in uh, Lake Arrowhead, and he he makes everything look just beautiful, so that it's really visually fun as well as full of of stories and and bizarre political thoughts and jokes and, and, and kind of uh, what the Far Cry theater is up to, what, what I'm up to, and all that stuff. And it's called planetproctor.com. Uh, and it, after we get off the air, I'll give you my email address, and you okay. can send yours, and I'll send you the latest copy, which issue, which is being fixed, uh, final edited right now. Okay. Awesome! Wonderful. Yeah, that'd
1: be fantastic. Yeah, thank Good. you so much.
0: Good. Good. And you thank
1: you for uh, spending some time with us tonight, Phil. This has been uh, freaking amazing. Just it really has. Every I, word. I'm almost at a loss for words,
2: and I mean that in the most positive way. Yeah, me this too. It's been extraordinary.
0: Well, it's all very kind of you, and I, I'm so glad you appreciate the the, the bizarreness of uh, our world while we're in it. Because that's have the to. fun of it. You have
2: to. I think it's strangeness the is the spice of life yeah, for yeah sure.
0: absolutely embrace it and uh, and understand that it's all part of God's mysterious work <laughs> emphasis <laughs>
2: on the mysterious I think <laughs> indeed
0: indeed whether you believe or not we're all part of this great universe and uh, much of it is out of our hands but you know you can right. do the best you can to, to spread the love and to to make the most of your life while you're here
1: great words to Couldn't have on. said it better yeah yeah perfect thanks so much Phil And you have a, a thank you guys evening.
0: Okay.
1: So there you have it, everyone, our interview with Phil Proctor. Uh, again, what an amazing It's a hell of a thing, right? Yeah, it really was. I want to thank him so much for being on the show. We're definitely going to have to get him back I'm on. I'm thrilled
2: at the prospect of being able to talk to him again soon. Can
1: you imagine right. sitting down to have coffee with a guy like that? I'd, I'd have my chin in my hands for sure. <laughs>
2: like, Tell me more, <laughs> Tell Mr. Tell me more, Proctor. Uncle Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, we're definitely going to get him back on in the future. So, uh, again, head over to planetproctor.com. Check out stuff he's got going on. Yes, I, he's got the, the blog that he's uh, running over there. Also, head to com. You can check out uh, all the past uh, recordings that they did, I believe, are on there. Indeed. And there's, a, uh, there's like a little old timey radio that is streaming 24 7. Uh, Fire sign theater. That work. is just the so, coolest feature. Yeah, I, I got on there the other day and just had it on while I was working around the studio, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to listen to. So it, I if comedy is a big
2: part of your life or who you are or just something you appreciate, you kind of owe it to yourself, right?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and I don't think a lot of people do um, that. Kind of, and I could be wrong about this. Correct me if I am. Uh, you or anyone listening, but I don't think a lot of like sketch comedy albums are really made anymore, are they? Wrong. Am I wrong? No, I'm just kidding. I I believe you're right. I mean I think of like the Lonely Island. Yeah. But yeah. I don't and
2: know if they did sketches. But they I feel like they did, but they kind of moved away from it. The bubbles kind of burst. So it's it's nice right. to hear it from I already used this phrase
1: once in the episode I'm gonna use again, the golden age of sketch comedy. Right. You know? When it was real and raw and new there's only a few names that I think of when I think of sketch comedy albums. Yeah, aside from Firesign, you know, there's one Cheech and Chong. But oh, two, sure. the one I grew up with, Adam Sandler, he had two or three sketch comedy albums that were priceless. Loved them. So uh, strongly recommend checking out oh, Fireside Theater albums. They're on YouTube. I know there's some on there. Nick Danger. Man, that's a lot <laughs> of fun. I love that one so much. But um, yeah, go check it out for yourself. Lots of uh, comedy goodness there waiting for you. So uh I think that's going to do think it that for this. Week. It, yeah. So Jake, what do we got on the website?
2: We've got all kinds of great treats on the website, guys. Just take my word for it.
1: Hey, okay, there you go.
2: And that's all. No. Yeah, that's, that's all you uh, get. first off, if you'd like to contact us, guess where you do that? Uh, it's our website, candairpodcast.com. While you're there, check out our special guest page full of great names and growing every day. Um, You can see all of our YouTube videos on our YouTube page and follow us on all our social media outlets. That's Twitter at CandairPod and Instagram at canned underscore air. Also... Should you be attending a Wizard World convention in the near to far future, be sure to use promo code Canned Air lowercase no space for 10% off your tickets. What do we ask in return? Nothing. Just your loyalty. Just your yeah. love.
1: Yeah, exactly. You already
2: give us that, so it's all good.
1: And like I said, speaking of that love that you have to give, we are going to get that Patreon page up and going for the next few that weeks, we like are. we uh, mentioned at the top of the episode. And, uh, yeah, strongly encourage you to come by and show uh, any support you might be able to. We want to expand the show. We want to uh, take it places we can't right now. With funding, it uh, makes it so much easier. So, And we love doing it, but it, it can be tough. Yeah, that's yeah, that's So true. welcome to Canned Air 2.0. <laughs> We're going to make it happen, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, those people who do back uh, will be getting special content uh, that's... People that are just listening for free won't be able to get. So I'm not sure what that is yet, but we're gonna make it damn good. You can be a sure of that. With Jake. Hey, there you go, in pod form. That, well, yeah, <laughs> just, I mean in person. You just hear no, no. Ambience the ambiance of a restaurant and you <laughs> sitting there talking. So, so uh, uh, where do you work? <laughs> what are you into?
2: How about that rain, huh? <laughs> I think we need to make this now. it uh, would be not, uh, <laughs> an evening with Jake Runyon. <laughs> Have some the nice album. seductive piano <laughs> tunes in the background. I'd want
1: it on vinyl, though. Oh yeah, get yeah. that. Hiss that's and pop the only going way. <laughs> <with it. laughs> All right, future well, I, projects. Yeah, right, there you go. I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Collie. I'm Jake Runyon. Thanks for listening, everyone.
2: Seen this movie.
1: But wait, Timmy's blind! But what am I supposed to do?
2: Why not try a podcast? Spirit! Spirit! All the comic and pop culture entertainment you could want in the Canned Air podcast.
0: Finally! A form of entertainment not fully reliant on visual stimulation.
1: Now we know!
2: And knowing is half
3: the battle. GI Joe!
1: Want to open a fortune cookie?
3: I
2: sure do. Why
1: don't you go first?
2: Let's see what we got. I'm excited. You know, I was once told it's bad luck to read the fortune before you eat the cookie. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you've got to finish the whole cookie, but we don't have time for that, and it'll sound terrible.
1: Okay. okay. Me chewing on this cookie. Maybe I've just been
2: doing it wrong all this time. Maybe. It could just be me, and I get these superstitious panics. Okay. Ooh, luck is coming my way. Did you hear that, ladies?
1: <laughs> That's it. Must it. Be it's in the blank of, on the other. Side. It must be in the form of those dating albums. I we're guess make. so. <laughs> good times ahead. See, I have. You will be graced by the presence of a loved one soon. You're welcome. I already am. I know. Right? He's right here in front of me. Come, Come on. on. That works. Does that
2: sound good, everybody? <laughs> you like that <laughs> crunch on our cookies? No. Get an extra five minutes of this. These things taste so fucking good. I know, right? They're probably made of, like, gorilla fat and rare something.
1: It's all kinds of, it's like, glass shards <laughs> and or some <laughs>
3: shit.
1: <laughs> oh, Lordy. No, we went and bought a box of these, you know, for this uh, episode. I wanted to have one for Phil, and last night I was like... Damn, I want a fortune cookie. (laughs) Damn, I want another one. Before you know it, I've got a little mountain of fortune right there in front (laughs) of (laughs) me. You people really need to get that book. I wasn't bullshitting you. That was a a damn good book. What a character.
3: For sure. That's
2: the coolest thing about doing this is we get to meet some really... Really interesting people. Not the truth. We get to live vicariously through people who leave their house to do things <laughs> instead of recording. I'd put this experience right up there with Tom Snyder. No question. I was just thinking that. I mean, this that's, was a Snyder esque. Yeah, yeah, a Snyder esque. Snyder esque. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You can keep that free charge, no royalties. I think we just need to use that on the show, Snyder. I think you're right. I think you're right. I like that. Pin the tweet. A Snyder esque journey through Phil Proctor. <laughs> <He's good. laughs> if he sees, it, he'd be like.